Hey everyone, welcome to the Revive West Des Moines podcast. I'm Jamie Richards, the Young Adult Minister at Hope West Des Moines. What you are about to hear is the live recording from Revive West Des Moines this past week. We hope you can connect with God and the good life that God has for you through what you hear in this message. Check it out. Hi everyone! It is so good to be at Revive. I haven't been at Revive in a while. Um, So if you're new, I feel like I'm new to you. My name is Ashley Lenz. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. I hang out mostly at the Ankeny campus, uh, but I really love hanging out with young adults. And our young adult ministry at Ankeny is just so small. So when Jamie asks me to come to us when I'm like, yes, please sign me up. So we're in a sermon series, message series called Unsettled, uh, Finding God's Peace in a disrupted world. And when Jamie sent me the, the talking points, there were a couple that really stood out to me. And so I'm going to be really honest with you tonight. The thing we're talking about is something I myself really struggle with. I picked it because I can relate to it. <laughs> Jamie, when I emailed her what I wanted to talk about, she's like, that's such a nine thing. I'm a nine on the Enneagram. If you're, <laughs> if you're familiar with Enneagram, this personality tool, um, I'm a nine. And this will make sense to you as we dive into it. But what we're talking about is how we move from reactions to healthy responses. And so last week you talked about the reaction of arrogance and how we move to a healthy response of humility in the face of a disrupted world. Tonight we're talking about how we move from denial to embracing pain and joy in the midst of a disrupted world. And like I told you, I hang out in the world of denial I really enjoy not feeling my feelings, just hanging out with with what's comfortable. And so this talk is really hard for me. And I want you to know, if you've ever experienced any of the things we're talking about tonight, it's okay. You're normal. And these are like hardwired defense mechanisms that we have to survive in an unsettled and disrupted world. But God intends for us to live in a fulfilled world, even when it's disrupted and unsettled. And so I want to get us to a place tonight where we dive into why we might have a denial reaction and how we can move uh, to the response of actually embracing our pain and joy. And that sounds silly. How do you embrace pain? How do you find joy in the midst of pain? But really what we'll find out is like, that's really biblical. This is what God has called us to. And so that's what we're diving into tonight. As we get started, uh, there's an article that I want to pull a quote from. Um, There's a social psychologist. Her name is Amy Cuddy. Uh, She has worked at Harvard and Yale, and she's really amazing. I haven't read all of her books. I would really like to. Um, But she recently published an article in the Washington Post, and they pull a statistic about this unsettled world that we live in. It was a mid-July poll from this year. This article in the Washington Post, by the way, was published in August. So a CBS News poll of American adults found that 62% reported feeling concerned about the spread of the Delta variant, yet 52% also reported feeling hopeful about the near future. Interesting, right? Like, how do we feel concerned about what's happening in the world around us. And over half, still 52%, still felt hopeful. And isn't this the epitome of the world that we live in? The article, the next sentence in the article is this. In short, people are awash with conflicting feelings as they grapple with the swings and mixed signals of threats, 
shifting public health policies, and uncertain social behavior. Can anyone relate to uncertain social behavior? Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? Do I wear a mask here, but not there? What do I do when a school district changes the mask policy mid-school year? What is the norm now? And we were finally getting to a place, at least it felt like to me, this summer where I felt like things were going to be normal again. Like there were vaccines widely available, COVID numbers were way down, and about mid-summer, I would guess most of us were thinking, normal is here. The fall is going to be normal. And we quickly learned that that was just not the case. So we live right now in the midst of this disrupted world. We feel this tension very closely because we literally face it each and every day. And we can find hope in that. Many of us are searching for new ways to find hope. I would encourage you if you're interested in um, learning more about like how we handle pandemics, look up this article by Amy Cuddy. She co-wrote it with someone, uh, but they talk about the pandemic flux syndrome is what they call it. And how we flex or flux within a worldwide pandemic. It's something that none of us had ever experienced before. So it's interesting stuff. But ultimately, what happens with these conflicting feelings? Well, when feelings conflict, when the world changes, we regress toward things that make us feel comfortable and safe. So we're talking about tonight moving from denial to embracing pain and joy. But the reality of the world we live in is that we regress toward things that make us feel comfortable and safe. Again, this is the world that I live in. We regress toward things that make us feel comfortable and safe. So I ask you, before I share with you all the ways I regress, how do you regress? Where do you regress? What makes you feel comfortable and safe? Think about this for about 30 seconds. What's your comfortable thing? Where's your safe place? When the world's crazy, what do you want to go do? Analyze that for a second. Let me tell you what I want to go do. Honesty time. Uh, My form of denial is going home, getting in my pajamas, and just binge watching anything on Netflix. Any movie series, TV series. Um, I've watched Friends a million and one times. It's like my most favorite TV show ever. Another form of regression for Ashley is napping. I am six months pregnant, so I can blame it on the baby at this point, which is really nice. But if we're being honest tonight, which we are, it's a form of regression. (laughs) This also looks like, for me, wanting to have big life changes, okay? So every, uh, my husband's walking around with our dog somewhere. He would laugh if he was in here. Uh, Every, like, eight to 12 weeks, probably, in my life. So every two to three months, I go through, like, a minor, I call it mental breakdown, midlife crisis, where... I look at him and I'm like, I'm just doing the wrong thing. We need to move. I need a different career. And here's where I want to move. Okay, like I have it planned out. I'm moving to France and eating and baking pastries for the rest of my life. That is how I regress, okay? But literally every eight to 12 weeks, this is like, I go through this all the time. And it wasn't until I started digging into research and realizing like, oh, Ashley, this is a form of denial that it started to make sense. I thought it was just crazy. Because honestly, is moving to France and eating pastries all day going to make me feel better? 
no, <laughs> maybe, maybe I, the world will still be chaotic, right? It really might. They have really good pastries. And like, I feel like my heart really does belong in France, but that's a different story for a different day. But ultimately the world will still be disrupted, right? The world will still be unsettled and there will still be things in my life that I want to regress from or that I want to deny. So this reaction of denial what does denial actually look like, right? Those are regression methods. Those are ways that we walk away. Rather than walking toward our pain and suffering, those are ways that we turn around and say, no thanks, not today. I think I'll make a plan to travel the world or live across the world or whatever it looks like. But what is actually denial? And I think briefly, like there's the very obvious form of denial. Nope, not dealing with that. And really there's a posture like this that comes with that, right? Like, no thanks, I'm walking away, and you turn and you go a different direction. But as Christians, there's actually a really subtle form of denial that can be really dangerous for us. It's easy to say, oh, you're in denial, when we toss up our hands and say, I'm not dealing with it. But as Christians, sometimes we have a tendency to say, God's got it. I don't have to worry about it. God's going to take care of everything. God's got a plan. He works all things out for his good, right? Do you notice the posture is exactly the same? God's got it. I don't need to do anything about this. He works all things out for his good. That is true. He does want and will work everything out for his good, for his glory. But that doesn't mean that you and I don't play a part in that. It doesn't mean that we get to throw up our hands and chalk it up to God and say, You do all the work and I'm bowing out. That's a form of denial. And we don't grow. We don't grow when we live in denial. So ask yourself as we keep talking tonight, how do I regress? And what does denial look like for me? And you are not alone if you're the Christian who says, God's got it. I know I've said that before in the mindset of denial. It's normal. These are defense mechanisms, but we need to pinpoint that we're doing it. We need to recognize why we're doing it. So then I think, okay, well, where does denial actually come from? Why do we want to deny things? Why do we regress? Ultimately, denial is grief-based. Denial is grief-based. Grief is all those feelings of sadness and anger and misunderstanding and not knowing what to do with the world around us and feeling that very deeply And often that comes out as denial. Rather than feeling my feelings about the disrupted and unsettled world, rather than feeling my feelings about the things in my life that have knocked me off balance, I would prefer to walk away. I'd prefer to not feel them because that's comfortable and safe, right? We regress toward things that make us feel comfortable and safe. So I wanna dig into grief just a little bit tonight. Peter was our Bible verse. Tonight we read about Peter being denied. I kind of feel bad for Peter because anytime we talk about denial, like Peter's exhibit A, like, oh, let's read about Peter's denial. But I want to do just for a couple minutes to really like put ourselves in the shoes of grief. Is I'm going to read the story of Peter. I'm going to put you in its context a little bit. And I want you to like, just listen and put yourself in Peter's shoes and try to imagine what he must have been feeling. I want you to feel the grief, the sadness, the anger 
that Peter must have felt in in this moment that leads up to his denial of Jesus three times. So if you have your Bible, you can certainly follow along, but if you just want to sit, close your eyes, and put yourself in Peter's shoes, do that too. So ultimately, right before Peter denies Jesus, we have a a whole series of events, okay? So imagine that you are a close friend of Jesus. You have been following him for the last three years, day in and day out. You've witnessed miracles, You've witnessed healings and transformations of people. And you know that something bad's about to happen. So you have this last meal with with your closest friends. They're at the Last Supper, and Jesus tells you, you're sitting at the table when Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. So you're sitting there, you're hearing this, and you're thinking, no way. That just can't be possible. Then... Jesus looks at you and he says, and you, Peter, are going to deny me. And Peter says twice to Jesus, I would never deny you. I could never deny you. It would never happen that way, Jesus. And they go to the garden in Gethsemane Gethsemane where Jesus prays and he sweats blood. And Peter witnesses this. Things are getting really tense and Peter's just a witness to all of these things. Then Jesus is arrested in the garden. Judas betrays him and he's arrested. And Jesus is taken to this council where they're going to try him and ultimately accuse him. And again, Peter's with him. The people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of religious law and the elders had gathered. Meanwhile, Peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and sat with the guards and waited to see how it would all end. So you're sitting in the courtyard. Your best, one of your best friends, this man who's done miracles, is on trial. Meanwhile, a servant girl comes up to you and says, you're one of those with Jesus, the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, Out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter went away, weeping bitterly. He went away, weeping bitterly. Can you feel the grief, the sadness, the anger, the confusion that Peter must have been feeling? And do you also pick up on The fact that Peter's denial didn't help. Peter denying Jesus did not help his feelings at all. In fact, he goes away weeping bitterly. Denying Jesus in the midst of his grief was not going to help him overcome this grief. In fact, it led him to feel worse about himself. Grief is this really powerful thing. Sorry, I'm a slide behind. Grief is this really powerful thing that leads us to denial. We're hardwired. It's a defense mechanism. 
but rather than react in denial, what would happen if we leaned into the pain, if we embraced the pain, if we learned the healthy response of using our grief to grow, of finding joy in the midst of our grief. And another social psychologist, her name is Brené Brown. Um, I have read quite a few of her books. She writes about grief. This is one of my favorite quotes on grief. Here's what she writes. Our silence about grief serves no one. We can't heal if we can't grieve. We can't forgive if we can't grieve. We run from grief because the broken parts want to mend. C.S. Lewis wrote, No one ever told me that grief felt so like fear. We can't rise strong when we're on the run. Just two parts of this I really like. The the C.S. Lewis quote that she quotes, um, that grief feels like fear. Yeah, grief's a scary thing. Acknowledging our feelings is hard and scary. And then she says we can't grow. We can't rise strong when we're on the run. We can't rise strong in the midst of our denial. Peter did not feel better after denying Jesus. When we head back to comfort and safety, we don't grow. We just learn to avoid. Also not healthy. Earlier this year here at Revive, we kind of talked about the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And this is also a part in this book. And just briefly, I'm going to read um, a quote from Pete Cesaro, who writes this book, who also acknowledges that denial and grief are part of the unsettled world that we live in and how we get through these things. Here's what he says. He says, in our culture, addiction has become the most common way to deal with pain. We watch television incessantly. We keep busy running from one activity to another. We work 70 hours a week, indulge in pornography, overeat, drink, take pills, anything to help us avoid the pain. Anything to help us deny the pain. And then what he writes about this, so yep, this is a problem. We're acknowledging that. Then what he writes, turning toward our pain is counterintuitive. But in fact, the heart of Christianity is that the way to life is through death. The pathway to resurrection is through crucifixion. Of course, it preaches easier than it lives. (laughs) Easier said than done. But the pathway to life is through death. How do we embrace pain and find joy? What do we do in the midst of our grief and our denial? We live through it. We do not walk up to it and turn around and walk back. We do not regress into comfort and safety, although we are hardwired to do so. We say, Jesus has so much more in store for me than watching Netflix all day or moving across the world and thinking it will make me better. Jesus has 100% life in store for you right here in the midst of an unsettled and disrupted world. So how do we respond? If we are moving from the reaction of denial into the healthier response to lean into our pain, to find joy in the midst of pain, how do we grow through this? Again, it preaches easier than it lives, right? Is how Peter Cesaro writes it. Here are some practical things we can do. Number one, tell God how you feel. I underlined the word lament because I'm going to come back to it. Lament and feel the things that lead to unhealthy reactions. Okay. Lament 
is a fancy word. And here's the definition of lament. I wrote it down. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Two-thirds of the Psalms in your Bible are laments. The psalmists are really good at passionately expressing their grief and sorrow. Did you know that Psalms, the Psalms can be your prayers too? It's a prayer book of the Bible. If you don't know how to lament, open up some Psalms. I can give you a list of Psalms that are laments. But tell God how you feel. When we can express how we feel, and God more than anybody else in the world wants to know how you feel, when we can tell him how we feel, we can actually begin to feel those things. So rather than deny our feelings, rather than ignore our grief and walk away and decide not to feel them, tell God how you feel. Tell other people how you feel. Tell a counselor or a mentor or trusted friends how you feel. When we start talking about these things that lead us to, into denial, when we can voice them, we can grow through them. Lamenting is a really good way to do that. And if you don't have the words, scripture already has the words for you. They're there for you. Number two, wait. Hard, really, really hard, wait. Wait for God to show up and use you right where you are. The reality is we are not going to change the unsettledness of this world. The reality is there will always be seasons of our life that in one way or another feel disrupted or unsettled or not normal or not perfect or not the way that we planned. And it's because we don't live in a perfect world. But God has a plan in all of those seasons. And we just have to wait. And that's hard. It's not easy. Um, when we went through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality series here at Revive, I did a talk on the dark night of the soul. If you're curious about what that is and why waiting can be really, really hard, you can go back and reference that. Waiting is really, really hard. And there are seasons where it does not seem like God is working, where we don't see it. it we feel like he's not there. Doesn't mean he's not there. It means we just might not see it yet, but he's always working. And we get to look for him to show up but we have to give him time and space to show up to something that as we deny and regress and pack our schedules full of busyness, we miss because we're not looking for it. And number three, let old things go so new things can form. Let old things go so new things can form. Resurrection comes only after the crucifixion. What in your life, what old thing needs to die so that you can grow? What bad habit, what comfort mechanism needs to be tossed out the window so that you can grow and experience the fullness of life that God has in store for you on the other side of that thing? Again, these are really hard things, friends. And I told you this was hard for me to talk about because I, I myself am working on all of these things. I do not have it figured out. 
But man, does God want more for us than watching, binge watching Netflix every time we have hard feelings or thinking that our lives would be better if we could just fill in the blank. Man, he wants us to embrace right where we are right now because it's no accident. He has you where he has you. As you marinate on these things, I just want to just look at the cross, just sit, debrief. But I just want you to remember, <laughs> the reality is we, we're not going to change the unsettledness in the world around us. This will never be a perfect world until Jesus comes again or until we get to heaven, both of which I'm very much looking forward to when the time is right. But we can't, we can't change the world that we live in. The other reality is that our defense mechanisms are hardwired into us. And so being aware that denial is maybe the easiest way for us to walk. And knowing the second we start to regress, the second we start to walk backward, calling it for what it is and saying, this is just a defense mechanism and God has more in store for me. Comfort and safety is not where God has called you. Jesus is not comfortable and Jesus is not safe. He is daring and he's bold and he's very, very, very powerful. And so as followers in him, we are called to be daring and bold and very, very powerful. We do not grow in our comfort zones. We do not tap into the full potential that God has in store for us in our comfort zones. He has called you to pick up your cross and follow him. Have you ever just thought about what that means? Pick up my cross and follow him. I don't know about you, but that sounds heavy. It sounds hard. It sounds like I'm walking toward a crucifixion, to be honest with you. And in a lot of ways we do. It is not easy to be a believer in this world because you're called to higher standards. It's not comfortable. It's not safe. But that's what he's called you to. Pick up your cross and follow me. And you know what comes on the other side of that crucifixion? Resurrection. Can you imagine if every time you heard about Jesus' crucifixion in church, in the world, every time you watched Passion of the Christ, you got to about the crucifixion and you stopped and went back to the beginning. Every time you read scripture, you got to about the time you knew Jesus was going to die and you stopped reading and went back. Every time a preacher started talking about crucifixion and you walked out the door before you heard about the resurrection, we'd never know the life, the joy, what God has in store for us on the other side. And so if every time in our life we start to walk upon a suffering season, a season of unsettledness, and we turn around and walk the other direction, we never know the joy and the life and the fullness on the other side. Life comes through death. That's what we've signed up for, but it is the most glorious life. It is the most powerful life. It is the most spirit-filled, joy-filled life. And it's for you. It's at the end of John's gospel uh, that the heading of my Bible says, Jesus reinstates Peter. And I just kind of giggle at that. Like Peter had to be reinstated as a disciple, but I don't think it was Jesus. I don't, I don't think Jesus ever disinstated him. 
or tossed him out. I think for Peter's sake, Jesus needed to tell him what he told him. Here's what, here's the interaction between Peter and Jesus after the resurrection. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And it seems odd as we read it. You're like, that's a really weird response from Jesus. But I think Jesus is doing, he's commissioning Peter. After Peter's denial, after feeling all the grief, denying the grief, and then after the resurrection, what Jesus does for Peter in this moment is he reminds him of his identity. Feed my sheep. Go and tell people what it, what's happened, Peter. Go and tell them who I am. Go share the news and the joy and love on the people in the world around you. And that's the calling for all of us. We're not defined by our disrupted world or our sufferings, but we certainly need to face them. And we get to grow through them with the help of God. We wait for him to show up. And his message to you on the other side of all that suffering, on the, on the side of life and on the side of resurrection, is go and tell. When you've experienced seasons that are unsettled and disrupted, knowing him, you get to be a light for your friends, your family, your coworkers who go through seasons that are hard, and you get to show them that they don't do it alone. And that's really, really powerful. Let's pray together before we close in worship. Good and gracious God, thank you so much for our time together here at Revive. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill these people from head to toe, that they would know how dearly they are loved, that they would know they're not alone in suffering, in trials, that when our hardwired defense mechanisms say, turn around and walk away, this is hard and scary, go sit in comfort, that you would remind them that you're not comfortable and that you go with them into battle, that you equip us to get through the hard stuff. God, you're so, so good. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the life that's on the other side and the joy that comes with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Revive West Des Moines happens every Thursday night at Hope in West Des Moines, and we'd love to connect with you on social media. So find us and let us know where you're listening from. And whenever you're in town, we would love to have you come to Revive and join us live. Peace out, Scouts.